This podcast is brought to you by the Los Angeles Inner Group of Overeaters Anonymous. Please visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three podcast feeds of over 200 sound files of individual speakers as well as events such as retreats and workshops. You'll also find order forms for ordering CDs of many of these speakers through the San Fernando Valley Inner Group of OA. Finally, we have a donation button where you can contribute to keeping this valuable service continuing for yourself and others. Again, our website is www.oalaig.org. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Elizabeth D. Sure. Um, six twenty. Uh, how about a half hour? Okay, I'll knock three times on that. Knock three times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a. I'm Elizabeth, and I'm a compulsive reader. That reminds me, I have a postcard on my refrigerator. Her life is a Broadway musical. It's this woman from the 1950s who opens the door and is like, ta-da! And so that every time somebody says something, it reminds me of a song. So you'll have to forgive me. Um. Thank you, John, for asking me to be here tonight. I'm really honored, very honored. I've never shared here before. Um, I've been in, let me get the statistics out of the way. I'm in OA 21 years. I've kept coming back no matter what. Um, And I currently am abstinent five and a half years, and I'm down about 50 pounds from my top weight. So that's that bit of business. And to help illustrate what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. I do have pictures. I, when I was a newcomer, I loved the pictures. So uh, it, that just shows a little bit. Um, the two-sided one is what it's like before. Hopefully it'll be obvious, which is before and which is after. <laughs> my God. And then there's the dancing with my father, which is a total miracle, is the after. So, um, And then if uh, at the end of the meeting, if whoever has them, please make sure they get back to me. I'd appreciate it. So... Um, Welcome to the newcomers. Gosh, um, you're so courageous. Um, when I was new, I uh, I cried. That's all I could do. I cried. I couldn't talk. And I'm a talker. I'm outgoing. Um, I'm friendly. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. because you know what? All of my life, I felt like I was an alien. That, that somehow everybody had the book of life, knew how to handle situations that always baffled me. And I was absent the day that that book was handed out or something. And so, um, and certainly I did a lot um, with food, about food, and I'll go into a little bit of detail like that. But when I came to my first meeting, it was like um, I was at in the land of aliens, and they all spoke my language. And what a relief, you know. Uh, I just didn't think that I... Food was my God. Food could fix anything. Food was my friend. Food was my lover. Food was my companion. Food was what I did when I had spare 15 minutes, like if I was early for a doctor appointment. It's like, well, what am I going to do? Well, I got, you know, drive through 7-Eleven, whatever. Uh, Food was my Saturday night date often. Food was my buddy at a party. Um, I helped in the kitchen a lot. (laughs) And that meant that I ate leftovers. You know, I was a great food tester if you were the cook in the 
you know, I made cookies and I had to double the, ba- the batter, the batch, because half of it was eaten by me before the cookies even got into the, you know, whatever, into the oven and done. I, um, I ate people's food at work, you know, in the, in the refrigerator. I, um, my, my, Boss, like, would get a gift basket. I, I knew how to open it a little bit, get, take something, and then rearrange them. Um, I, you know, cookie tins, you know, that had layers. You know, I was really good at rearranging and, you know, or eating a layer. I would, you know, eat and then go to the store, get exactly the same thing, come back, and then replenish the layers. You know, so that, you know, hopefully I wouldn't get found out. Um, my measuring tool as to whether your party was good or not was by the food that you serve, you know, or a wedding. You know, to me, a wedding isn't a wedding. I mean, you know, that, that I'm fr- I grew up in Kentucky. So, you know, deep fried everything. And so, you know, it, 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 it was like this, you know, uh, I'll never forget. I went to a wedding and it was breaded shrimp. You know, and I, I just said, oh, that was hideous. And those pastel mints, you know, the mints that taste like chalk. And I thought, oh, my God, could you believe that awful wedding? Now, here's the thing, just to give you the example of the wedding, and forgive me if you've heard this before, but I was in college, and I went with some friends, a college friend. Um, at any rate, I went, to a, I went to a wedding, and I was in the car on the way back, you know, talking about it, talking about the hideous, you know, breaded shrimp and pastel mints. The guy who was driving was talking about they didn't have an open bar. He would later be an alcoholic. And he said it was a hideous wedding because there was no open bar. And someone else in the, in the it, it, one of our friends said, yes, but Elizabeth, what about the vows? Weren't they amazing? I'm like, huh? And, um, and wasn't it interesting, you know, when the minister said this thing about it's really a union of families? And I'm like, huh? And then, and I don't remember music, and I don't remember that Bishop Desmond Tutu was there also. And there was a crowd. I just remember this strange-looking guy in this outfit, you know, African wear, you know, and people huddled around him, and that scared me, so I didn't, so I popped a few more pastel mints. So, (laughs) you know, this is what I mean about not being present. Food took me out. Food took me out of situations, and I, and I was not a full participant. But you would think I was. I was really good at faking it. I could sit in a Mexican restaurant across from you in a basket of chips and go, uh huh, oh really, mm-hmm. oh, uh huh, oh, more please, more another another basket, and you know, just not really be there. And um, I thought nobody did this. Um, I will say that um, I would learn about other manifestations of this disease, you know, bulimia and anorexia, here, after I got here. I had never, well, I had heard about Karen Carpenter, um, and I thought, people who don't eat, oh, my God, uh, uh, huh? But, and the bulimia thing I'd never even heard about, and so I learned about that here. And I, so I don't have the other manifestations of this disease, the forms. You know, I just didn't get there yet. Perhaps I learned here to say the word yet. If there's someone I don't identify with, I say, well, I never, I haven't done that yet, or I was spared having to do that. Um, because I have learned over time I do identify a lot. I am a garden variety glutton. I am, you know, my, I never dieted. I'm someone that has tremendous fear of failure, and 
Um, I won't do anything unless I'm really good at it. I I do not play Monopoly because I once the once the once the the properties are distributed in that hotel market stuff now. So I stopped, you know, I didn't play Rummy. I didn't play things unless I was good at it. And so I'll do um, games that involve expression. But so diets, I knew I would fail. And so I wouldn't do that. And, you know, the pain, the humiliation of failing just was, you know, more painful than whatever weight I was carrying or, or humiliation I had about my size. So a diet is a four-letter word, as far as I'm concerned. And um, I did not yo-yo in my life. I just yo'd. I just, you know, I started as a as a plumpy baby, and I was a cherubic child, and I went on to a pudgy adolescent, and then I grew into an obese adult, you know, eventually. So, uh, you know, the the sophomore or the freshman five, freshman 15, I think it's now called. Freshman 15 was freshman 50 for me in college. So food was wonderful. So I um, I came here, and, and the way I got here, I'm, I read about it in Dear Abby, where in high school, where there were the 15 questions that are asked, you know, the identifying questions. You know, do you do this? Do you do that? And, and if you answer two or more, um, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sure you can find it in, in a piece of our literature, and the literature person can help you, because I find that, found that very, I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it says if you can identify with two or three or more of these questions, then you might be a compulsive reader. We don't label anybody else, thank goodness. If someone came up to me and said, here's what your problem is, I'd, I'd, have, I'd have been gone. Um, but um, OA gave me an opportunity to I relate to you and then say I am like you. Because um, I had people telling me what was wrong with me all of my life. I didn't need anybody else to jump on that bandwagon. So... Um, I, uh, 21 years ago, I was miserable. I had moved here from New York City with my employer. I uh, was here, had been here for about six months. I was at an all-new top weight, uh, around 200. I um, was eating. I, I work situations baffled me. People always seem to get what they want, but not me. And I was so nice. But I'm so nice, and I'm so helpful, and I'm always smiling, and I'm so jolly, and I never complain. And um, but yeah, people, other people got what they wanted, and uh, I got no, I'm being taped. I I got um, shrewd. Anyway, <laughs> so I um I and I was crying every day. I was crying every day, and I didn't know why because um, I didn't know why. So I. I having I did contrary what was very contrary to my upbringing, which was to be self-sufficient, self-reliant. Um, you know, if there was a god in my household, it was the god of self-sufficiency, the god of intellect. And if I couldn't do something, I should be able to do it. So I'm not going to admit that I can't handle something. Just try harder. Buckle down. Batten down the hatches. Start Monday. One more time. So, um, and so I, there, we, we scoffed at people who did therapy or things like that. And so I was just so miserable. I said, well, I'm 3,000 miles away from my family. They won't know. So I'm going to, and so I made a call to someone who was 
referred to me. And I maybe spoke for two minutes to this therapist. I did not mention anything about food, not one thing. And after I told her I was crying every day and I had no idea, and whatever it is else I said, which I really don't remember, I just know I never said anything about food or weight. She had one question and one question only. She asked me, are you overweight? Now, looking back, she didn't ask me if I drank. She didn't ask me if I gambled. She didn't ask me if I stood on the corner of Hollywood and Vine and had promiscuous sex with anybody. You know, she didn't ask me if I had any other compulsive or addictive. She asked me about it, which I find very interesting. And so my response was, am I overweight? I was like, well, I can stand to lose four, five, fifty pounds. <laughs> so she went on to say, that I was probably a compulsive overeater and I should come to Overeaters Anonymous and do what's called become abstinent. And when I'm abstinent for 30 days, give her another call. Um, she, I'm welcome to come see her, but I probably wouldn't get much out of it because I'm just fogged up with food. And, or the, the, um, the, the impact, you know, the, the effect of food. And I remember hanging up that phone saying that, unprofessional woman. This is how my thinking is, how twisted my thinking is. You know, I thought of rejection and she's cruel and she's, you know, not there for me and, and you know, she was just trying to save me time and money. She said it would be a waste of your money. You know, get at, you know, go there and I had heard of OA, like I said when I read it in Dear Abby. Go there, get abstinent, 30 days, call me again and, you know, then, then it won't be a waste of your time and money. But, of course, I had such resentment that I wasn't aware of it. So, by the way, in those 30 days, I somehow lost her number. So there went that. So uh, she never got a call from me again. But I did come to newcomers' meetings, and I listened to people talk about some of the things that I just talked about, and I couldn't believe that they actually admitted it. And, um, and they said, well, one day you will too. And I went, ah. And, uh, and here I am, living to tell about it. And I... I cried, you know, I, and I couldn't tell you, I, I ate, I stopped at uh, a fast food place on the way to the meeting and a fast food place on the way home. That was the best that I could do. But for an hour and a half, I wasn't eating. And that was an improvement from the day before. I, I was someone that ate all the time. I had to have a little something, just a little something, to, you know, just get me through just a little, <laughs> you know. I love those little individual wrapped special somethings, you know. And um, so I just kept coming back, you know, and that's what they told me, and, and keep coming back no matter what. I had no idea what I was feeling. I couldn't identify a feeling. That part of me was broken, and I, it got broken. I, I don't know how and I don't know when, and I no longer care. But I, everything, if I felt something, oh, I must be hungry. That one I could identify. <laughs> but to tell, you know, the whole range of, Love and fear and resentment and envy and, and I, I, on a good day, on a good day, on my clearest day, I could say, I feel uncomfortable. That was the best, oh, confused. I feel confused. That was my word. I feel confused because things were just like spinning inside my body. I couldn't keep it all straight. So that was on, when I was eating, uh, that was my best moment of clarity. So I, uh, other things would become revealed to me as time went on. And, you know, they say if you want to know what you're, you're eating over, stop eating. And you'll find out. And why did I? Um, <laughs> so I, um, 
You know, I remember having lunch with my sponsor once, and she asked me, I asked her, I said, I hear these people at these meetings talking about resentments, resentment in the, you know, in our literature, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, OA, you know, we, for those who don't know, that's like our quote-unquote Bible, it's like the best tool, that's the guide, that's the program, and uh, and OA uses the AA, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, also referred to as the big book. And um, I would hear this line, resentment is our number one offender. And I, I told my sponsor, I'm not angry. I, I asked her, what is a resentment? And she said, repressed anger. Oh, that's not me. I'm a jolly person. I'm a, I was a jolly fat person. <laughs> I wasn't one of those angry fat people. I was the life of the party. And, and uh, she said, and, and how long are you asking? And I said, three days. And she said, wait till 30. You'll know, you'll then know. <laughs> you'll find you'll learn. You know what it is. Don't worry about that for today. And yes, yeah, she was right. So I um so I got here and I struggled and I kept coming back and I got involved in service very very early on and um, I don't know. I do know. I came in August and I got abstinent in January of this last weekend, as a matter of fact. OA started here, for those who don't know, and um, 48 years ago, and we just acknowledged that anniversary um, with a big weekend celebration, a recovery convention, so to speak, and um, I, I went... When I was a newcomer, I had come to OA in August, and I didn't have a sponsor because I didn't trust anybody. And I, uh, but I did go there, and I had binged that day. But I went, and so there were meetings, there were marathon meetings, and I got abstinent that weekend at that um, convention. And so for 12 years, um, I was I I was abstinent, and so the OA birthday party has always been very special to me personally, because, you know, my birthday coincided with that. So um, I just kept coming back, and, you know, um, certainly my OA program took off when I did begin working with a sponsor. Gee, how about that? Um, (laughs) So, and whereas I had procrastinated on my um, four-step inventory for a couple of years, something that I do not recommend, but that was my experience, um, when I finally kicked it into gear, you know, my, my recovery be- in every way began to improve. And I'll tell you what, you know, it, it is what it is and it takes what it takes. My, um, on my mother's 65th birthday, we, um, each of us kids wrote everyone she knew and we each wrote a letter and invited others to write a letter for a book and I couldn't get the letter written. I tried. I tried. I couldn't get it by the time it was her birthday. I tried. I tried to do these memories of mom and positive things. And I said, dear mom, you always encouraged me to participate in extracurricular activities like dancing and Girl Scouts. But then you would forget to pick me up. And so there I was on the curb. You know, <laughs> so it started as a positive, but my pen just kept, you know, the memory just, <laughs> and it became a, well, no, I couldn't put a period next to, you always encouraged me to participate next to curricular events. 
period. No, no, you know, it was just like on and on. And, and I had other things. Dear Mom, you know, you were such a good seamstress, and you made us match them. I have two sisters, older sisters, and so she would make three matching sister dresses, which is really cute. Except when you're the youngest and you get hand-me-downs, you're wearing the same dress for 12 years. So, <laughs> you know, so I was always, thank you, Mom, for, for making us homemade dresses. And you put so much time and energy but then I never was worth it to get a store-bought dress, was I? Oh, no. I had to wear the same dress for 12 years. So, so that's when I found out I had a couple of resentments. So then I called my sponsor and I said, okay, I cannot get this letter. I can't think of a positive thing to say about my mother, and I know my mother loved me and I loved her. I was blocked. And, you know, I heard an analogy, by the way, um, nothing I say is all that new. You know, I'm just kind of giving back what I, what I learned here. So I don't have an original thought in me whatsoever. Um, and I do only share my experience. So by golly, if you don't relate to me, keep coming back and listen to other people because I certainly am not, you know, um, you won't see me being the poster child for Overeaters Anonymous, probably. But in any event, I, um, I was talking about event, um, resentments and sponsor, I think. Um, oh, yes. So there was um, this analogy of a garbage can, you know, filled with garbage, well, filled with good things. You know, and I'm like the garbage can with a lot of good things, talents and smarts and gifts and love and just great qualities. And then on top of it are all my resentments and fears and self-loathing and, and jealousy and envy and just packing down the good stuff, covering the good stuff. You can't get to the good stuff because it's just buried under all that garbage. And these steps... Um, particularly um, the fourth step inventory and then the fifth. And, and with the fifth, you know, I get to identify what the garbage is, sift through it. And a sponsor helps me dump, you know, with steps four, four through seven, I get to dump the garbage out of that garbage can and, and discover these wonderful things and learn how to let them out, you know, and share them. And... Uh, so I was inspired. Um, you folks inspired me. Um, life as I was living it, I was a functioning compulsive overeater, but I was sitting on the bench. I was not in the game of life in any way. I, I, I didn't date. I didn't um, have a lot of friends. I had a lot of acquaintances because I am outgoing, but you can only get so close. The truth is. And, you know, I just wanted to have the high school yearbook that had the most entries in it. You know, that was like my motivation. I wanted to, everybody to know me, and I wanted to know everybody. And so I, uh, I, did, I did those, um, I was inspired to work those steps because I did, they say a life, ha life lived in fear is a life half lived, and I was living a half life. So. Um, and I didn't think that these steps and the food were connected. And I didn't get it. And in fact, um, I really didn't, I, sh I must say, I'm sorry I'm starting so many thoughts at the same time. 
I really didn't come to OA to lose weight because I didn't keep coming back to lose weight. I know some people, a lot of you have, and that's wonderful. I didn't believe that it was possible. I never was able to become a thin person or a somewhat average body. Um, And like I said, I had the fear of failure. So I didn't believe that I could ever be thin, so I didn't have that as a goal, to be thin. I kept coming back because I wanted to stop eating. Stop eating compulsively. And I really emphasize that. The shape of my body is a is is a one way to perhaps measure or identify that I got this thing. But it's not the thing. And food isn't the thing. Food is a symptom also. It's the action of compulsively overeating. You know, for me to say, for me, to say I came to OA to get thin is like saying an alcoholic goes to AA to stop shaking. You know, or goes to AA to get rid of his bloodshot eyes. You know, it's to stop drinking, stop the action, refrain from that action, that insane compulsion, no matter how much I wanted to not do it, I couldn't do it. And I was very dynamic in other areas of my life, but not in this one. And so I... um, that, that is what kept me inspired to keep coming back, is these people were living life, you know, having three moderate meals a, and, and life in between. You know, that's what they said to me, have three meals a day and life in between. Thank you. And so um, that was amazing to me. The miracle isn't that I ate three times a day. The miracle is that I began to stop three times a day. That's how the miracle started, that, I could, that, that OA could help me stop three times a day. So I, um, I didn't get a connection between how this, I didn't get it, understand it intellectually. And I'm somebody that had to get it here in order to do it. But if this is broken, as it was in me, I'm never going to do it. Because this is broken. I'm like the person on the Titanic. The Titanic is sinking. And people are saying, here, get in the lifeboat. And I'm the person saying, yes, but how fast, what's the rate of wo- that the water is coming in? And at what angle did it hit the glacier? And what are the credentials of I want to know why? And I think I have to know why before I get into the solution. And therefore, the solution was postponed for me for the first few years because I kept on having to know why. And not that there's anything wrong with knowing why. I'm not saying that there is. And I've learned a lot of, I've come to understand a lot about why Lizzie is the way she is. But I called myself Lizzie. That's so funny. That's what I was called growing up. Oh, so so I, um, but, you know, it's get in the boat. Get, 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 in the, get in the life raft, Elizabeth, and start rowing. The people here will help you row in the boat. Higher power steers. Higher power steers the boat. But get rowing. And maybe while you're rowing to shore, to the glory, glory shore, you might come to understand. You look back on the 
Titanic, you'll look back on the ship and you'll see why it's sinking. You'll see the big honking hole. <laughs> but, get, but getting the solution, you don't have to know why I ate. I don't have to know why I ate the way I ate in order to get the solution that's offered here. And the solution, they told me, is a spiritual one. That Initially, that made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, but I was... I became willing to set that aside for the moment in order to have a different experience here because my way wasn't working. It wasn't working. So I am, um, my, my motivation, in addition to the letter to my mother that didn't get written by the time it was her birthday, it was part of my amends a year later. So she got it on her 66th birthday. Oh, well. So she did get, finally get the letter that could go in the book. Um, but I... I, I didn't think there was a connection, and so I set out to prove my sponsor wrong. She told me, you know, Elizabeth, I don't know anyone who has worked the 12 steps all the way through and been worse off. I don't know anyone, she said to me, who's been, you know, everyone she knows has been better off. And I said, okay, I'll be the first because I have to be unique. I said, okay, I'll show you. I'll, I'll look these steps, and I'll see there's, well, somewhere, some in the middle of four, you know, I called her up. I said, okay, I feel a shift. Something's improving. I get it. I'll keep on going. You know, she was right. God darn it. Those, the wisdom of those sponsor people. So, um, but that, you know, it is what it is and it takes what it takes. And so that, you know, if that's whatever, you know, gets you going, then go. Um, and I've been rowing ever since. I've been rowing in that boat, and sometimes the oars are heavy, and um, you people uh, have helped row for me or row with me, um, and um, and I've been able to help you with your oar when it's in, when it's felt too heavy for you, and um, and that's that's really nice. And the wonderful thing about my lifeboat that I'm in, our lifeboat, is that it's expandable. <laughs> you know, you want to see. Boom, here it is. So that's really, it's a magical boat. So I, um, at any rate, um, and I try to steer clear of Titanics, um, or I come, have come to recognize when I'm on one. Um, so um, I uh, need to talk about, if any of you have been do doing any of the math that I've talked about, then you've gotten it that I have experienced relapse in this program. And um, I have kept coming back no matter what. I have kept coming back when I had a job, when I didn't have a job, when I lost all of my hair, including my eyebrows and eyelashes, and when I have hair. Uh, I kept coming back when I was at, um, um, at a somewhat normal weight, and I kept coming back as I got to a whole new weight that I never thought I would reach, even newer than when I came to OA. I don't wish that experience on anyone. But if it is yours, know that you're not alone and know that there is life after relapse. And so there came a time when I needed to look at those 12 years that I had and go, I, you know, I'm a, I don't want to be an OA fraud. I don't want to be hiding in a meeting. You know, I went to a meeting, some of you may know it's Saturday morning, often called Kitchen Sink, um, and it's the only meeting I know that asks for volunteers to define their abstinence. And I was a regular at that meeting, and I noticed I never sat in the front row, and I always sat behind 
a person larger than me, and I would sink in my seat at that moment because I didn't want to have to define my abstinence because I could not do it in ten words or less. And if I can't define my my abstinence in ten words or less, you know, I had you know no more than three meals a day with an optional snack, except on Tuesdays, and then at three o'clock, then I can have this, or you know, then when I play tennis, you know, if it's exceptions, exceptions. Um, then I, ha- I found that I got to look at that. And so the best gift I could do at that time was to day one myself, as I call it. And it took me a while, uh, you know, 20 days, 25 days. It was really hard. Um, and I did it because I, I, I just had returned to uh, what I was doing before. And um, I was not working with a sponsor at that time, so go figure. And I got a sponsor and, you know, got back on track. And so um, that's where I am five and a half years now. Um, I I sponsor. I get a lot out of that. I um, I do everything imperfectly. I um, I keep coming back because I'm, 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 I'm certainly – more healthy, but, you know, this is my medicine for my disease. They tell me I have this disease, and OA is my medicine. And so I have to rub a lot of medicine on my disease in order to keep it at bay. So with those these meetings and, and calling you to see how you're doing today and um, do, doing these steps and getting to know people and reading the literature and writing, all I'm putting more OA medicine on my disease, and I have more chance to get better. I'm going to stop at this point. If there's anything else that I'm supposed to say, I will trust that it's going to reveal itself in questions. And thank you very much for the opportunity to share. I eat no more than three meals a day with an optional snack. I have to, yeah, I have to refrain from saying, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are there any, I'm sorry, yeah. are there any specific foods you abstain from, or is it just mm-hmm. three meals? Three meals, yeah, that, that's it. And I, in terms of specific foods, that's what I consider a plan of eating. And a plan of eating is one of eight tools that um, I was taught that I use, that I apply in order to abstain, that helps facilitate my abstinence. Um, Abstinence here is the equivalent of sobriety in AA. So a plan of eating is something that, you know, I may eat or not eat or certain times a day. And I have learned that refraining from um, traditional desserts, cookies, cakes, ice cream, candy, even things that might be sugar-free because my, I, what happens for me is I'll eat something that is sugar-free, fat-free, whatever, and I'll go, you call that a cookie? <laughs> no, I get pissed off. And some of my friends have seen me. I get pissed. Don't you think you can fool me? I know a cookie. That, and I'll show you a cookie, you see. And then I go. And then I go and get the real deal. So that's because my thinking is really wonky so by I you know so I um, that that was uh, three years ago it's been three years that I've given up those kinds of things and um, 
have been infinitely better off for having done so. Does that help answer your question? Thank you. Okay, I'll repeat the question. Um, the question is school, energy, insomnia. Did I often look to the food to uh, give me the, the energy to get over the... To, right? Is that the gist of it? To, for more energy? You betcha. I am... Um, now, I was not in OA when I was in college. So I did a lot of, a lot of damage in college. I used to think that I needed... I had to have my staff, you know, a liter of Coke, not not Diet Coke, not Tad, but Coke, pizza, Subway sandwich, whatever. I had to have my chips. I had to have my stuff because, to fortify me to get through. I would pull all-nighters because I didn't have the discipline to study in increments, and I did everything last minute because, you know, that's the kind of person I am. So I did that, and mistakenly thinking that that would fortify me to get through, and then I would sleep through the test the next day. <laughs> or, uh, I would be reading paragraphs and not comprehending. I didn't realize that, in my experience, that really w was making me foggy. So, um, And I, I, re I can relate to um, what your question, and for me, it's the afternoons to currently... The 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock hour at work is a hump for me. So I, I can relate to it in that way. That's hard to get for me to get through for some reason. I'm, like, so tired. And that's usually when I wanted a little something to get me through. And I make a call. I go outside. I get fresh air. I email my gal pals. And I'm, like, going... You know, there's free donuts, free food in the, you know, in the kitchen. Boy, did that sound good to get me through the afternoon. And that's just my stinking thinking. That'll just get me out really, really foggy, my experience. So um, a lot of fresh air and sometimes walking around, just doing something different, making a call. I am a late-night person. I don't know if you feel so inclined, but you're always welcome to call me. I always say on the sign-in books, best time to call before you eat before you eat. I don't care what time it is before you eat. Hi. Um, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for your wonderful lead. My question um, relates to body image. One of the things I noticed about you, which um, you were my hero, was <laughs> that while you were struggling, it didn't stop you from going out there and putting on your tennis outfit and doing <laughs> tennis. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> it was beautiful. Thank you. Um, the uh, question is about body image. And um, I, uh, and how, how that has, how, what, but my recovery in that area. Um, 
I didn't have it when I first got here. I think that really was born out of um, working these steps. And um, I started to exercise, and I... I, was, I had always lived a sedentary life. I was raised to be sedentary. I come from a sedentary family. Um, and um, to us, intellectual loftiness was you know, the, the, the thing to aspire to. So discovering my inner athlete is a gift of this program. I didn't know I had that, and I was good at tennis. Um, and so... You know, I, it really, it was really you people. I, I just kept coming back. I enjoyed how I felt when I played, when I did the activity. And finally, I reached a point, and that's true with anything for me. Change only happens when the pain of what I am doing finally outweighs the fear of doing it differently. You know, I... Don't change because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of whatever, what you're going to think of me in a tennis skirt. I'm afraid of getting, you know, being embarrassed. But, but I wasn't doing the thing that it gave me so much joy. And that was very painful. So, you know, when the pain of not doing it finally outweighed the fear of looking like a goon, um, I became willing to look like a goon. And the more I did, you know, whether it's showing up in a tennis skirt or the more I did it, then the more comfortable I got at doing it. I learned that here. You know, if I wait for my fear or whatever to be lifted before I do something, if I wait till I'm magically more comfortable around men before I date, ah, it's not going to happen. I gotta, I gotta do it. I gotta do it. I gotta get out on the dance floor. Then I'll learn how to dance. I gotta practice the piano to learn how to play the piano. So I had to walk through the fear and go on the tennis court in a tennis skirt, have fun, and then little by little it got better and better. Thank you for the question. Um, Elizabeth, thank you for Funny, you shouldn't say that. I was just talking about six and seven with a girlfriend today. Um, that's so funny. I ha- um, six and seven, um, con- it's a continual thing. I am um, becoming ready to have my character defects removed in step six and step seven, humbly asking God to remove my shortcomings. You know, I just, I just came to see the pain I had, you know, with... Uh, Holding on to all those character defects, I don't want them. I don't. I don't want to be handicapped. I was so handicapped by my fears. Um, it did more than just freeze me. I was. I was frozen in life. I. I just, you know, it's like chisel away at them, please. You know, I. Um, I really. I became ready and willing. You know, like, I, I, and I do an image thing, I, like, I, I put them in a box, whatever it is, my character defects, and it's like I hand them over like I'm giving a gift to somebody else or something else or whatever that higher power thing is. Don't ask me to define it. And I, um, 
give it away, take it away, take it away, God. I'm like a stage manager, you know, if anybody's in the theater. Take it away. So um, that's, that's, uh, that's my time. So I identify it and say, please, God, take it away. It's more than I can handle. Thank you very much. Thank you.